0: Good job, children. Good job. Well, good morning again. So happy to see you. Glad to see you. Uh, I don't want to give you too much confidence, but way to go. We're not here this morning in defiance of the government. We're here in this morning in defiance of a disease that would cause us to fear. And uh, I just want to talk to you for a minute before we get into the word, because I have a word that I believe this morning is going to shift some things in our hearts, shift some things uh, for the kingdom of God. It's going to set us up for the next move of God that he's uh, working in this house and in this region, and I believe in the world. Uh, But I want to talk to you this morning just as a response uh, to the coronavirus uh, that we're looking at. And here's what I want to say. And I'm kind of talking to the choir this morning, because you're here because you're not afraid. Uh, but I believe that there's many people that will join us on Facebook that may be filled with fear. And here's the truth. I asked our, our team this morning, are you afraid? And they're like, no. But that if you gather the same amount of people that are in this room somewhere else that don't know the Lord and you ask them if there's fear in their hearts, probably if they're honest, tell you yes. And it's not a small fear. And so I want to talk to, to us believers this morning about what God has called us to in the midst of this. And the first is this. We are called to not fear. Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of self-discipline, or a sound mind. And as fear rises up, the temptation is to give into a lack of power, to stop loving people actively and take care of ourselves, turn selfish and turn inward, and to let our minds go crazy with what can happen. But here's the truth. God has given the people of God his spirit, and his spirit is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. But here's the thing. If you are only hearing this from me, you're going to grow weak and anemic in what you understand the kingdom of God and the word of God to be. Ancient uh, philosophers, Eastern philosophers, describe it this way, and they're not—they're not telling us an untruth. They're just ripping off the truth of God. We have—we have—we can either feed our faith, or we can feed our fear, right? How do we feed our fear? We feed our fear by only watching, only taking in negative things. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a steady diet this last week of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever you're watching, if you're watching the politicians or you're listening to people, you will have a steady diet of fear. Now, is everybody telling you untruths? Probably not. But if that's your diet, you will grow in fear. How do we feed ourselves in faith? We feed ourselves in faith by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you in these next few weeks and months to make sure that you have a steady diet of the Word of God because who you feed will grow. The ancient philosophers say this, you have a courage dog and a fear dog. I'd say you have a faith dog or a fear dog. And whichever dog you fear feed is going to grow in your life. We ought to be the people of God at this time that are walking in faith. And we will walk in faith as we feed ourselves the Word of God and we encourage each other with the Word of God. So listen, when somebody says, yeah, but, say, but I want to tell you what the Word of God says. Because there's a lot of yeah, buts that sound like wisdom, but that are fear-based. And I'm not saying that we just do whatever we want to do. We need to be wise in the midst of this. But that's where the sound mind and self-discipline comes in. We can interpret and hear what is being said and say, is this based in fear or is it based in truth? And if it's something that's scary that's based in truth, what does God say about that scary thing? Here's the great news. This is the opportunity for the church of God to rise up and be the church of God. 1 Corinthians 13, we read it at weddings, we talk about love, and it's a great thing to talk about. But we've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. We've been given the spirit of love. 1 Corinthians says this at the very end of the chapter. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. So when everything's shaken, when our normal opportunity to meet together and do our Christian things, the things that we like to do is removed from us, that we may not be able to meet next week. We're going to be the people that obey the laws of our government. And if they ask us not to meet, we won't say you're trying to persecute us. We'll just say, great, the kingdom of God's going to advance in another way. Because here's the truth. The kingdom of God does, never stops advancing. And all throughout history, when there's been persecution, when the church is not allowed to meet in large groups for whatever reason, when, the church is, when there's, when there's a, uh, an epidemic that crosses the world, the church rises up and we act like the church. And we're the people of God no matter what whether we can meet like we like to meet in a great sanctuary like this, or we can't, we will see the kingdom of God advance. And I'm excited for the opportunities when everything is shaken. When there's no more audience for the, for the actor to perform for. When there's no more entertainment for you in coming into this place. And I'm not saying that's what we come here for, but oftentimes we get stuck in what we like. And this is an opportunity for the kingdom of God to become real in our lives, for God to activate dormant gifts in each and every one of us to see the kingdom come alive. And so I'm excited to see what God does because in these moments, the church is the church. We're going to continue to be the church for the church. We're going to love each other. The, 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 world, the scripture says, Jesus said, that the world will know us by our love for one another. But we're not going to stop at just doing that for each other. We're not going to hunker down and hoard everything that we got and take care of our own. We're going to take care of our own, but God gives us more than enough to be generous. And we're going to find opportunities to reach out with the love of God and the resources of God to see the kingdom of God advance, not just with people that know him, but with people that don't know him. There's somebody sitting in this sanctuary this morning. I won't tell you who it is because she'd be incredibly embarrassed by it. But she posted on Facebook, if you are affected by schools closing, bring your kids to my house and I'll feed you. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. In this moment, in this time, that's what it looks like. To rise up in faith and say, what resources do I have? How can I share them with my community? And how can I see the kingdom of God advance in their lives? Listen, the sick... (laughs) Jesus didn't come for those who didn't know they were sick. This is an opportunity for people to know that they're sick. The sick need a doctor. Who is the divine healer? So when you encounter a sick person, don't shun them. Rush in and say, I got the solution. Right? Without fear. In the Old Testament, you touch somebody who's unclean, you become unclean. In the New Testament, you touch the unclean and they become clean. So if your neighbor gets it and can't go anywhere... Don't just slide food in their door and run away. Go and lay hands on them. Anoint them with oil. Declare the word of God over them that they will live and not die. And watch as the kingdom of God advances through you. The destitute a, don't know that they need a provider till they don't have anything. And there's lots of people that are running around destitute and they don't know it. But when everything is taken, what does it look like for us to say we know God our provider? And we're going to be the hands and the feet of God. We've got so much food stockpiled in this place, and we have not stockpiled it for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> we, we have it ready so that we can feed people that need it. Not just on the regular, but when things get tight. Listen, when it comes down to our last meal, we're not going to say, hey, I'm just going to keep this. We don't stockpile so we can take care of ourselves. We stockpile so we can share. So I'm not, I'm not coming down on anybody. If you stockpile toilet paper, great but I hope that you've started a toilet paper ministry. <laughs> if you stockpiled rice, I hope you're making fried rice for anybody who's hungry. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the opportunity for us to so God the provider. If there are people that are fearful and need of peace, we will get, not give in to fear first, like we said, but we're also going to share the peace that comes with Jesus Christ. And if there are people without hope, we will share the greatest hope that we have, which is in Jesus Christ. We will share the greatest hope that we have. What remains? Faith, hope, and love. Listen, here's the truth. Some people are afraid of dying, and if we were to boil it down, there's probably some people in this room that are afraid. Like, what if I do that? For those who are in Christ Jesus, you cannot scare us with heaven. Count the costs, be wise, but we can rush into places, not waiting for the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is go and heal the sick. We have the word of the Lord already. We've been given the power of God. We don't have to pray and say, God, do you really want me to go to my neighbor's house? Listen, he's already said, go to your neighbor's house and lay hands on him. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I know there's been some pushback because it's been going around uh, on it, and it's not a complete correlation, but I want to read to you what he said. And this is a quote that's in, in response to the atomic bomb, and I want to differentiate in it in a minute, but here's what he said. I'm going to replace the words atomic bomb with coronavirus. He said, The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by a coronavirus pandemic, Let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about viruses. Listen, God, it's not a direct correlation. See, with the atom bomb, that was (laughs) like you had really no choice. But the truth is this. We have a choice in the midst of this. And God has not called us to a place where we have nothing to do. God says that viruses have to bow to his name. Bacteria has to bow to his name. Sickness and disease has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. So God hasn't called us to just... Only continue on with what we normally do. I say continue on with what you normally do, but also look for opportunities to advance the kingdom, to go on the offensive. We're not on the defensive. Now listen, here's also what we need to understand. We're going to obey the authorities. We're not lawbreakers. If you're sick, stay home. We will be going Facebook Live. There's some people that are very close to me that are home this morning because their doctor said don't go in large groups. God will not miss you if you don't sit in these pews and you won't miss God. I'm, I'm grateful that you're all here, but there's no like merit badge for going to church during the coronavirus outbreak. You understand? And so let's continue to be the church, whether we're worshiping in small groups or worshiping with our families. We'll have our messages online. You can always FaceTime in with your small group. Have you ever done a Zoom call? Oh, maybe it's time to learn how to do a Zoom call. We can do this. God has given us the gift of technology. Uh, We're going to wash our hands. Right? We should be anyway. We're going to wash our hands. Uh, Right now, we're going to do some fist bump greetings or maybe the elbow bump or maybe Pastor Jordan's. Nice to see you. If you weren't here for the beginning of the service, just start the rumor that Pastor Jordan started the coronavirus so he would never have to hug anybody ever again. But listen, here's what I do want to encourage you. We are made for personal, physical greetings and touch. We will do that again. We won't lose that as the people of God. But here's where, you, like at home, love on each other. Give somebody a hug. There are going to be people that are starving for this. This is time to do that. This is time to love one another and do that in our homes. Uh, we're going to do extra wipe downs. There are, I don't know if you saw Clorox wipes all over this building, hand sanitizer all over this building. Use it, use it often. The greeters are going to open the doors for you, so you don't have to do that, don't have to touch that. Uh, at kids check-in, when you, if you haven't already seen this, they'll check your kids in, you won't have to touch the computers. When it's time to take your receipt, your tag for your kids, you can take that yourselves. We're going to do what's sensible. We're going to continue to meet while we can, but we're not going to live in fear. We won't give in to it either. We're not going to be cavalier, cowboys, but we won't walk in fear. Does that sound good? All right, you ready to get into the Word of God this morning? How many of you already feel like you got some word from the Lord this morning? Hey, I just want to welcome everybody that's on Facebook Live joining us. Um, I think some of us might in this room might be on it as well. Uh, you can comment. If you have prayer requests, we'll be praying. Um, if you need ministry, we can minister to you there. Listen, trust me, God is with you right where you're at. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Let me ask you this. How many of you had bizarre uh, customs in your home growing up? So here's, here's some that uh, I think might be a little bit bizarre. And you don't re- the truth is this. You don't know that they're bizarre until you move out of your home and you try to do something a little bit different than what you grew up with. I grew up thinking that ketchup belonged in the cupboard and not in the refrigerator. And I've come to find out, based on the polls that we did last week, I I am the only person in the universe that grew up that way. How many of you grew up with ketchup not in the refrigerator? Okay. Thank you. There's some of my people right here. And then I married my wife, and did you know ketchup tastes different when it's in the refrigerator? You don't, I'll let you in a little secret, you don't get as many of the flavors when it's cold. It is true. It is true. Ketchup, ketchup will not go bad in the amount of time it takes in our house to go through a bottle. Now let me just, in, in case you want to judge me, we do keep our ketchup in the refrigerator now. Oh boy, here we go. See if my notes will let me. yeah, thank you, Jesus. So what about this? Uh, I don't know why this was in my house, but we kept the ketchup in the cupboard, but the mustard in the refrigerator. Who, anybody keep their mustard out of the refrigerator? So you guys are ketchup out and mustard in? Wow! Who knew there were other people like me? Or maybe like you're the family that you always did the toilet paper over, you always did the toilet paper under. I know we've gone over that debate before, but you don't realize that it's different until you enter into the world and find somebody else. Another weird custom in our home was this. My mother, and I'm sorry, she's watching by Facebook Live this morning, uh, so I apologize, Mom, for everything I'm about to say, <laughs> but my mom uh, insisted that we unwrap the soap when it came into the house. So like the 12-pack of soap, when it came into the house, you, un- you too? Oh, you're just with me on it. All right, you're going to try it. So uh, she would unwrap the soap, or we would unwrap the soap and stack it on the shelf in the, in the linen closet. Because she, she, she insists, and she still asks today, hey, are you unwrapping your soap? She's very interested in making sure that we li- live the family tradition. Because if you unwrap the soap, it gives it a chance to dry out, and then it doesn't go away as fast when you're washing your body, like you don't use too much when you wash your body in the shower. Isn't that interesting? Try it. Try it and see if it becomes a weird thing in your, in your house. Oh, there's another one. Uh, at our house for dinner, when you wanted a roll or a piece of bread, you would just clap twice. Like, you don't ask, please pass the bread, you just clap twice. And whoever's near the bread knows that it's their responsibility when the clap comes to not take the bread and pass it down to you, but to take the roll and without looking, chuck it towards the clap. (laughs) So it'd be like, or more like, right? That's how we did it in our house. I don't know where that came from, I don't know why we do that, but if you're ever with the Hamlins and you want a piece of bread, clap your hands and just be ready to catch it it's coming your way but like you can judge me for that but you all had weird customs in your house like like maybe this is one that's common to us why do we eat thanksgiving dinner at 2 30 yeah but i don't buy that like who who said the entire universe has to eat thanksgiving dinner at 2 30 what time do you normally eat dinner Five, six, seven o'clock at night. But on one day, when it takes the longest to cook the meal, we decide to eat it early. Which means whoever's cooking the turkey, which happens to me, be me often, has to get up at the crack of dawn to make sure that we meet this weird custom. (laughs) Or how about this? (laughs) How about this? Here's some those. Those are kind of things in my life. But here's some truly bizarre ones. There's a family that skips. I, I looked this up. I I got on the Google. I heard that last night. I thought that was funny. I got on the Google. And this, there's this one family that when, it gets, when they get to, to the birthday celebration, they, they light the candle, they put the cake in front of the person, and they skip 99% of the song, and they just go to you. And they end with that. I don't know about you, that sounds good to me. Let's get to the cake quicker. I don't need to hear you guys sing awful anyway. In our family, we have three different versions of the song that you can choose from. And they do let you choose all three versions, and that is brutal. We'll just leave it at that. Or how about this, there's one lady that uh, her, her tradition in her home was to say goodnight to everyone in the house before you go to bed. If they're already asleep, you have to go outside their door and just in case they're still awake, say goodnight to them outside of their closed door. She said, I never thought anything of this until I spent the night at my friend's house and I wanted to say goodnight to her roommates. <laughs> she said she seriously thought that everybody did this. Or how about this family, at Christmas time, there's a family that sniffs all their presents before they open them. And they said they don't know where it comes from. They've been doing it for 20 years. It always just smells like wrapping paper anyway. But their family sniffs their Christmas presents. Like, listen, you can judge them, but you got yours too. You got yours too. Uh, How about this person? Uh, Said, uh, up until 23, they thought that Tupperware was called McTainers instead of Tupperware. Parents still have never justified why they've always only called them that to the point where they still slip up in their adulthood and call them McTainers regularly. Or how about this one? If you, This family has a tradition where if you make eye contact with someone while they're eating corn on the cob, you must finish eating that corn without looking away, blinking, or swallowing. You just have to keep going until it's all in your mouth without breaking eye contact. It usually ends in corn being spewed out all over the table, but it's plenty of fun. Or how about this one? How about this one? This, this person says, we enforce a strict no cold drinks after 6 p.m. rule. It's bad for digestion, and the reason is grandma science. <laughs> or there's also one in our family, and I'm going to let you in on this. We have the pop-up book of shame. That sounded really bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> My parents, uh, on a trip to Toronto years ago, found a a pop-up book that explains the facts of life. Just let your imagination go wild. It is exactly what you think it is. And it's very factual, and it's very helpful, but it's also extremely embarrassing. Because you get the book at some point, and you're told to keep it for several weeks, so you can study it. And if you have any questions, you can see them. But you always knew that somebody got the talk when you saw the book in their room. <laughs> Weird family traditions. Here's the thing. All of these things are about making home, home for us. When, you, when, you come to, when we come to our house and somebody claps for a roll and it comes flying at your face, you're just like, I'm home. And each one of us has, some, has things like that that make home, home for us. We have traditions in this house, in this church, that make it home for us. And when when the Lord put this message on my heart, we weren't facing what we're facing right now. So I think it's really important that we talk about this and understand what home is like and what home is and what home isn't. And so we're going to look at a scripture this morning that talks about what home is and we're going to see something from it that I think is going to be very powerful for our walk with God and our understanding of what it's like to go, I'm home. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Just for a little bit of context of what we're going to read this morning, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is responding to religious people that are having a hard time that Jesus is hanging out and teaching, and there's a bunch of people listening to him that don't fit their standard for people that deserve religious instruction or religious truth or religious revelation. In fact, it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners... How many of you are notorious sinners? Used to be notorious sinners. We all were notorious sinners. Some people in the room are still notorious sinners. And we'll deal with that this morning. They often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law really upset that Jesus was associating with such sinful people. Like, you can associate with sort of sinful people if we think that they might be okay to come into the kingdom if they can get their lives cleaned up, but we're really not cool with how bad the people are that you're hanging out with. And so Jesus told a series of stories to reiterate a point about what it's like for someone to be home, for some, what it's like for someone to be lost and then found. And he started with this. He started with the parable of the lost sheep. He said, listen, if you're a shepherd, you'll understand this. If you lose a sheep, you'll leave the 99 in the wilderness and you'll go after the one. Then he told the parable of the lost coin. He said, listen, if you lose something valuable in your home, you'll sweep the entire house, you'll go through the house, and you'll keep going until you find that thing and when you're done you'll rejoice and you'll invite other people to rejoice with you and then he gets to the parable of the lost son the parable of the prodigal son some versions call it and in this he is the scripture says he tells this one to reinforce the point in other words when Jesus says something three times it's important for us to get it he's going over and over and over again to pound into the heart and the spirit of the people that he's with this is what I think about this This is what the kingdom looks like. This is the Father's heart for people. And here's what he says. I want to read all of the Scripture, and then we're going to talk about it briefly this morning, and I believe it's going to impact our hearts. And this is a Scripture that many of us have read before. Many of us are familiar with, I'm I'm encouraging you this morning not to tune out and say, oh, I've heard that before, I know what it means. Because I believe that there is revelation for our hearts today that will carry us through not only the days to come, but until Jesus returns. God wants us to carry his heart and his heart for home. Here's what scripture says. A man had two sons. Here's what Jesus said. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land. Just an aside, sometimes in the midst of something sweeping over the land, God's about to do something in our hearts that changes everything. And he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father I'll go home to my father. And I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against Both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Everybody in the church said, you must not be that hungry. For his, the son of mine was, not, was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but he's now found. And so the party began. And meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. This is a real house party. This wasn't like a nice dinner. They were getting down. And he asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. And the father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Then his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but he's now found. Jesus, we pray this morning that as we Take a look at this word that we would become those who come back from the dead and into life. God, I pray and I prophesy that every heart be revived this morning. That every dead place in your servants' hearts would be revived this morning. Every part of our lives that sees ourselves as only a servant of God and not sons and daughters of God would be revived this morning. Every part of us that is lost would become found. That your people would walk in the identity and the power and the glory of being home with their Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things to see from this scripture. First is this, home is where the Father is. Let me be very clear, this is a house of God. This is not God's home. If you want to be home with the Father, you can find Him here. You're going to receive from worshiping together and hearing the Word of God together in this house. But to truly be home with the Father is to be where He is. Home is where the Father is. We get that wrong all the time in our culture. When we talk about coming back to church, it's really coming back to where the Father is. Why? Because you were made for God. God has made a home for everyone, but He made us first. If you read the Genesis account of creation, the first of the account talks about God making people after He made plants and animals and things like that. But if you read the second order of the account, God made the people before he made the garden. In other words, God hasn't made us for home, he's made home for us. But what did he why did he make that home for us? He made that home for us so we could be with him. Because home is where he is. And that was the destruction of sin. And, and, and the shame of sin that br- was brought into the garden was this, that no longer could the people of God be home with Him because of the sin that separated us. And from that moment, God was working and has been working and has accomplished everything that's needed to bring us home. That's reflected in Genesis, but Jesus had the similar language in John chapter 14.12. He says this, There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Each one of us, as the children of God, have a place of home that is being prepared for us. There is more than enough room in, our, in the Lord's home for each one of us. And the truth is this, every person longs for home. I don't know about you, but you may have been one of those people that when you turned 18, you wanted to get out of your house as fast as you could. Probably because your home didn't reflect the glory of God all the time. Or you just didn't care for the things of the glory of God. Or a mixture of both. But every one of us knows what it's like to be homesick. Whether it's the home that we've created after we moved out or the home that we grew up in, we long to belong in the place that God has made for us. And here's the truth. There is a now component to being home. If home is where the Father is, we can be home with Him now, right? Did you know that? We're not just waiting for the return of Christ and for our our elevation through death into heaven or through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the changing of our bodies. We're not just waiting for that home. That is our home. That's our eternal home. But we can be home with the Father right now. That's why Jesus told that parable. You and I can be found currently. How do I know this? Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 22, verse 33, that, we, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that, right? He is currently at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. But we also know from Ephesians 2.6 that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So if Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, then where are we right now? We are home with the Father. Home is where the Father is. And home is where we're designed to thrive. Now, some of you grew up in a home that you didn't thrive in. It wasn't well organized. It wasn't led by the principles of God. And it may have even been a Christian home and didn't do this. But here's the truth. God has designed us to thrive in home. He's designed a home for you and me where he is, where we are blessed in relationships. In relationship with him, and we thrive in relationship with one another. When we are home, where we are where the Father is, our relationships should be exploding. Our relationships with our husbands and our wives, I don't mean exploding in a bad way, I mean exploding with the love and the goodness and the presence of God. Because we're with Him, it translates to other people. If we're cut off from the vine, we can expect that relationship destruction will come. How many of you are really good at relationships apart from God? My guess is if you think you are, you're probably just passive in your relationship and you give the other person their way. And you're okay with it. But the truth is this, if we're going to be good in relationships with other people, we've got to be connected to the relationship that matters. Home is where the Father is. But when we are home with the Father, we can expect that the culture of the Father's house filters through us and we grow and are blessed and thrive in relationships. Home is where we are designed to thrive in terms of resources. We read that in this parable. Everything that the Father has is available to us. I heard this last night from a preacher. I, I was like taking notes in my head because he started talking about this parable. He said this, the younger son had a greater revelation of the provision of the father than the older son did. He saw that everything that the father had was his. He just wasted it on the things that he shouldn't have wasted it on. The, younger bro- or the older brother had access to all those things, but he wasn't using them. So the younger son had a greater revelation of the provision of the father, what comes from the father's house, than the older son did. He said, I have got nothing. You haven't given me anything. He said, actually, I've given you everything. Everything that the father has belongs to us in relationship with him. We have, are designed to thrive in terms of belonging. Have you ever been in a room where you felt, felt like you didn't belong, you want to run out of that room as quick as you can. Did anybody ever make it apparent when they're in a clique and you weren't welcome? You want to walk away from that as fast as you can. Here's the truth, though. Sometimes the church is looked at as a clique where only the righteous are welcome. Jesus told this parable to say this. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. You don't have to have your stuff together to be part of this family. You belong here. Home is where the father is. We are designed to thrive in terms of belonging. When the son came to the father, he said, he had an identity problem. He said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He ignored him and said, I'm going to give, he didn't ignore him. He replied accurately to that, to that lack of identity by showing him, you get all the identity of me. Give him a robe, give him a ring, give him sandals, and let's have, let's have a party. Do, do you know what it's like to be celebrated In the kingdom? You you know you belong when people throw a party for you. Not because they have to because it's your birthday, but for some other reason, right? God's thrown a party for us and we belong in his house and we thrive in that. And we also thrive in purpose. God has designed home for you and I to thrive in purpose. We are not called to just live our lives spending the resources of the kingdom on our own pleasure. We are designed to thrive in the kingdom as we apply the resources of the kingdom to the king. And as we do that, every resource that we need is given to us, but it's living out of purpose as sons and daughters of the king. Home is where the father is. Point two, home is a choice. Most of us don't feel like it because we, didn't have, we had absolutely zero choice about the family we were born into. <laughs> right? Do you ever feel like, don't raise your hand? We're live streaming. And we don't want people to know. You don't want your parents to know that you might not have wanted to have been born into the home that you were born into. But some of us were not real happy with the home we were born into. Some of us are thrilled. Most of us are probably somewhere in between. <laughs> And so we don't always feel like home is a choice. But here's the truth. Spiritually, home is a choice. God is not a tyrant. He wants us home, and He knows that home is good for us. And He knows that deep down in every person, there's a longing for home. But He's not going to force you to stay home. He gives you the, the privilege of choice. You can choose to be home. Sane people know that home is the best choice. Scripture tells us that the, the, the younger son came to his senses, right? When we're, just think about it in the natural. When we run away from home, it makes absolutely no sense. How many of you packed a bag at like 10 years old because you are going to run, run away from home? How many of you actually you know, got outside the front door or like into your backyard and then realized like, wait a minute, this makes no sense whatsoever because I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Or you thought like the gummy bears are gonna run out in about twenty minutes, right? A bag, of a bag of apples. Right? Whatever you took is not enough. But when we come to our senses spiritually, we know that home is the best place to be. Lots and lots of people are not home. They're literally lost. Or they're on their way home. Or even worse, they think they're home and they're not home at all. There's a lot of places that we can be other than home. We can be away from home doing our own thing. We can be away from home and just think we want to go home and be in that place where we're trying to work our way to worthiness to be home. Or we can even be in our own father's house and refuse to be in the house. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the older brother, we think we're there, We think that we've done everything to to be there and we're not accessing any of the benefits of being home. We're not really with the Father. I think it's crazy that we can think we're home and not be home. Remember, Jesus was literally teaching this to religious people that thought they had it together with their father. And so it's not just about prodigals. It's not just about people that are running away from God. It's about you and me who are in the house. But maybe there's parts of us that are not connected with the Father. And what God is doing this morning is bringing us back home. Coming home is a choice. We like to to say, well, I wasn't born into this house or home, and so I I don't have a choice. So we, we try to reason, we try to blame, we try to find fault. We say, it's just my circumstance. Listen, when we say it's just my circumstance, we become victims. And God has not called us to be victims. You and I are not victims of our circumstance. Wherever we find ourselves coming from, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we have a choice in that moment to come home to the Father. And it doesn't matter if we're sitting in a pigsty, eating pig slop, having wasted everything away, or we're in the Father's house and we have our lives together. This is the truth. We are one choice away of home with our Father. We are without excuse. There's no ignorance anymore. And so we like to blame. We like to find fault with people. Why are we not home? Why are they not home? Listen, that's not the real question to ask. The better question is what God does for us. God takes responsibility. He's like, don't worry about blame, don't worry about fault. He says, I'm the father, I'll take responsibility for this. And he did. He has done everything that we need for you and I to come home to him. There is not one thing that he has not taken responsibility for and covered. And so because he takes responsibility for it, we have a choice of whether or not we can enter into it. And home is access, access through repentance, not performance. Listen, if you're here in this place this morning, if you're listening to us and with us live on Facebook, if you're hearing what God is saying and you're saying, I've got to get my life together, I've got to clean it up, I've got to become a better Christian, I've got to work harder, I'm not worthy to be called the Son of God because of this, this, and this. Listen, stop the performance. The performance has nothing to do with being home. You will get a chance to do whatever God has called you to do, but it won't be about performance. It'll be about the Father's responsibility to bring you home. And being home has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with His performance. He's taken responsibility for it by sending His Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for you and me so that we could be home with Him. So coming home is a choice. And point three is this, and we're going to end with this if the worship team can come. I love this. There is always a way home. Listen, when we find ourselves away from home, there's several things that keep us away. The first might be this we might like it where we are. If you find yourself far from home this morning, or maybe you find yourself in the house, but you know that there are things that are keeping you from being next to the Father. There's sin in your life. The truth is this, you might be continuing in it because you just like it. It's comfortable. There was a time for the younger son where, where living his own way, wild living, worked out for him. Do you ever talk to somebody who's going through something and you're just asking them, Hey, how's that working out for you? And they're at the point where they're like, It's not working out for me. And they're ready to make a change. But sometimes we, we talk to somebody who's going through it, and we ask them, "Hey, how's that working out for you?" And they're like, "I don't know. I think it's working out pretty good." I remember sitting across from a student, not from this church, but from another church, who, had, uh, who was uh, in a relationship with a woman who was like 15 years older than him. And they were doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing. And God got a hold of his heart, and he came back to the Lord, and he was pursuing the Lord, and everything was going really well, and he was entering back into his calling on his life. But at one point, he had lunch with me. He set an appointment to have lunch. He said, you know what? I think I'm going to go move back in with her. And I said, what? And the only question that occurred to me in that moment was like, is the sex that good? And the reality was for this young man, the pleasures of his own way were enough for him to walk away from what he knew God was calling him to. But here's the thing. We can't judge him because we do the same thing when we value our sin over relationship with the Father. Sometimes we are far away because we just like it. We're comfortable in our sin. I can do it my own way. I got this. I'm pretty good. Sin is fun for a time. It has many attractive benefits, but we all know where it ends. We all know where it ends. Listen, Satan doesn't come to us going, hey, how you doing? Let's go get loaded and go a-whoring. If you're offended by that, we read about prostitutes in the scripture, okay? So like, but that's not what Satan does to us. He's subtle. Hey, hey, you can do it your own way. Hey, hey, listen, you got some resources that you can spend on yourself. And it's going to be a good time. Hey, hey, listen, your dad is, is giving you the freedom to do what you want. You deserve this. This is your outlet. Check out for a minute. Just for today. Just take a look. No one will know. No one's really going to care. You like this. It's good for you. You deserve it. And then we find ourselves sitting in pig slop at some point. Let's not let the enemy lie to us. Let's say, no, it's better to be home. I thrive in home. Sometimes we find ourselves away from home and we're there because of shame. And even when we're given an opportunity to come home, we don't go home because of shame. When the preacher is preaching, and he's preaching a message of salvation, and we've been walking with God for 30 years, but there's stuff in us that nobody knows about. When the preacher says, come on, let's go after God, we sit in our seats stuck away from the Father because of shame. Because we think, if somebody knew what I was going through, if somebody knew what I've been involved in, they would not love me. And I don't think the Father loves me either. The younger son suffered with shame. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. But here's the thing that's absolutely true. There's no shame in coming home. How do I know? Because the Father throws a party. The Father does everything. Jesus took shame on Himself so you and I wouldn't have to suffer with shame. The Father, when He welcomes you and doesn't go, "Hey, listen, I'm glad you're back, but here's the plan to get better. Here's the plan to walk with me. I need you to do these things for a little while. I need you to apologize to everybody because you wasted all my money. I need you to make sure that you work as a servant for a little bit so we can see if this thing is real, a real deal." No, what does He do? He says, "Welcome back and welcome back all the way." He deals with the shame. He says, "I'll take the shame. I'll put the robe on you. I'll give you the ring." I'll put sandals on your feet and I'm going to throw a party that you're home. He's declaring what Jesus said in these three parables. He's saying we have to party when somebody comes home. That's not, oh, I, I came home and I slipped in. No, it's I used to be this. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. There is no shame in a believer coming to the Lord and coming home and there's no shame for somebody who's a far off coming. There is no shame in the home of the Father. We sang it this morning. Check your shame at the door. It's not welcome anymore. Some of us have a hard time with that. We'll check the shame at the door, but it's like a co-check. We pick it up on the way out. Let's not do this anymore. Let's not walk in shame and hide in shame anymore. Sometimes it's just pride. Pride that we think we've accomplished something with God. We're standing outside the door, and we're having a hard time because we've done everything the Father's ever asked us to do, and we're upset because somebody else, it's not fair, somebody else is getting a, a party. And if I'm absolutely transparent, that was my heart for most of my life. Because I always did what everybody asked me to do. I was the good kid. I was the one that people said, be a little bit more like Josh Hamill, would you? And then I would get upset when somebody who was doing stupid stuff came back and everybody threw a party for them. And I'm like, what about me? Guess what? I was the older brother. And who was in at the end of the parable and who was out at the end of the parable? Who had a greater revelation of the resources of, the, of, of, the, of our dad? Who had a greater revelation of home? Not, not the older brother. And so we're not going to walk in pride anymore. We're not going to have a work-based theology. Oh, pastor, I don't have a work-based theology. Jesus did it all, and I trust him. Then why are you living like you can do it on your own? Why do you get upset when somebody says, hey, that wasn't the greatest, or when somebody asks more of you? Why do we walk around thinking that somehow we're important? We have this sense of self-worth. I heard a great quote uh, two weeks ago. It was this, that ministry starts where ego ends. Listen, if we're going to be the children of God, we've got to say, it's not about me. It's not about my own self-worth. It's not about proving myself to somebody else. It's not about performance. We're not up here to minister to you so that we look good. We're here to bring the kingdom of God. And so when it ends with us, it begins with you. What does it look like to stop walking in pride and start walking in humility that God is the one who accomplishes it? Not a false humility saying, I'm not a son of God or, oh, it wasn't really good. No, I'm so grateful and thankful to be a child of God, to be used to thrive and show other people what it looks like to have the resources of my father available to my brothers and sisters and to give you all of the kingdom of God because I don't have to hoard it and I don't have to be prideful you deserve it too and God's welcoming you home sometimes it's just anger and comparisons comparison is a killer look at your neighbors right now don't say anything to them But I want you to do this. I want you to make a vow in your heart. If you trust me as your pastor, make a vow in your heart. I will not compare myself to you. Make a vow before the Lord. Because comparison divides us. And comparison keeps us from the Father's heart for us. There is more than enough room for each of us in His home. And each of us gets to thrive in our giftings and callings. Here's the truth. The Father's done everything so you can be home. It's already done. He's currently active. The Father sees you far off. If you came into this place this morning, if you're watching on Facebook and you've been far away, the Father sees you. He sees you far off. But here's the great news. If you're one degree outside the house, He sees you there too. And he's willing to come out to you for that little bit to shift you to being home. He's dealt with sin. He's dealt with shame. He's dealt with pride. He's dealt with a works-based theology. He's dealt with anger and he's dealt with comparison. He says, done. So how do we respond? We respond by celebrating. Listen, there are people in this room this morning that are going to come home. There are people that were far away that are watching by Facebook that are going to come home. But here, here's, here's what we also ought to celebrate. There are people in this room who are older brothers who think they're home, walked into this place this morning thinking they were home, and you're coming home too today. And it's not about shame. It's about celebration. What did the Father say? We must celebrate. Every single one of those parables talked about celebrating. In Luke chapter 15 verse 7, in the same way there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Listen, this is not about us who are doing good this morning. This is about those who are coming home. We should have a party. We should be all about celebrating. That's the Father's heart. Luke 15, 9. And when she finds it, the lost coin, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Verse 32. And we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but he's now found. Listen, here's the thing though. You and I cannot celebrate if we're not home. So let's come home. Let's come home. Let's come home. Home is where the Father is. Did you bow your heads this morning? This is not to mitigate shame. This is just so you can hear from your dad. where the Father is. Home is a choice. And He's done everything so that you can be home. There's always a way home. If you want to say yes to your dad this morning, if you want to make, make a choice this morning to say, listen, those parts of me that haven't celebrated my brothers coming home are because my heart is not in the right place. I've been, I've been standing outside. I've been religious. I've been prideful or whatever it is. If you want to, listen. You're saying, in defiance of shame, in defiance of pride, in defiance of sin, you're going to say, this morning, God, I'm coming home. Papa, I'm coming to you. Home is where you are. I'm coming to you. You've done everything that's necessary. If that's you this morning, I want to start with the older brothers in the house. Would you stand and would you say, Papa, I'm coming home? Maybe you're here this morning and you've found yourself far away. There's something big that's standing in the way. And you know what it is and the enemy's been using it to just dig into you and say, you can't do it. You can't come home. You're not worthy. Maybe you're tired. You've been doing it your own way for years. Maybe you're living in fear and guilt and shame. This morning, the Father says, I've dealt with all that for you. Listen, there's there's brothers and sisters in this room this morning that are going to celebrate you coming home. If you're watching by Facebook Live and you want to respond, I, I invite you, just make an altar in your home. Get on your knees where you're at. Stand up where you're at. Do something to say, God, this morning I'm hearing your call home and I want to be home with you. If you're here this morning and you've been walking from God, you've been away from God, God's dealing with something in your heart, it might be small, it might be large, and you want to come home this morning, I want to invite you right now. You know you're a prodigal. You know you've been running. It's not working out for you anymore. I want you to stand right now and say, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Welcome home. All right, everybody stand now because nobody stands alone in this house. We're going to celebrate the people of God coming home because home is one choice away. God has already done everything that is necessary. Come on, it's more of a celebration than that. God, we are so grateful that you have brought people home this morning. God, that we get to be home with you and that our brothers and sisters get to be home. And home is not a place and home is not a church, but home is where the Father is. God, thank you. Thank you. So let's pray together. Pastor Kent's going to come and close us after we sing the song, Father's House. It's going to mean a little bit different to us right now, but we're going to pray. God, thank you that you've made it clear that we can come home, that you've done everything necessary, that you've given us the choice to be home, and that you are calling us home. Father, we repent. For all the times we've tried to make home about what we want and not where you are. And we're so grateful that you've spoken to our hearts today. So in repentance and with joy, we say yes to being your sons. We say yes to being your daughters. And we say yes to celebrating the lost finding home. God, may it be a continual celebration every day that we are home with you. Because home is where you are. And God, may our lives be set on fire with this idea. May we never find ourselves longing for home without saying yes to being home with You. And God, I pray that You'd empower us by Your Spirit to declare to the world that home is where You are and inviting others to celebrate with us. In Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord. Let's sing together. Let's celebrate this morning that He has called us home and brought us home.
1: In there and get everything God has this day for me and come in to hear everything God's putting on our pastor's heart to hear that from the very beginning. And God's word never returns void. So I'm gonna close it in prayer, but by reading the scripture verse. Psalms 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not let me stumble the one who watches over me will not slumber instead he will watch over israel never slumbers he who watches over israel never slumbers or sleeps the lord himself watches over you the lord stands beside you as your protective shield the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by at night the lord keep you Keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, as we come and go, Lord, we trust you in it. Lord, we do not shake in fear, but we stand in confidence of who you are and how much you love us. Lord, I, I lift up every giver and receiver here, Lord, that you would bless every church that gets it. And you would uh, further your kingdom in it. We thank you for how much we love you. Thank you how much you love us and that you let us love you back because you loved us first. I say this all in the mighty, gracious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. Go and be blessed today.